This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Welcome to On the Cover, a weekly Madsplainers feature. I'm podcast producer Natalie Yar, and each week I sit down with the reporter behind our latest cover story to find out why it matters. Today I'm talking with Cap Times higher education reporter Yvonne Kim, whose latest cover story looks at why it's proven so hard to fight racism in University of Wisconsin-Madison sports. Welcome to the podcast, Yvonne. Thank you, Natalie. I'm excited to talk about this week's story. Me too. So your story opens with a description of a protest from last month, just two days into fall semester, by UW student-athletes. What problems are they pointing to? Sure. So I think one thing that critics have been pointing to quite a bit is that students are putting out too many demands, too ambitious of demands, scattered demands. And I think that there have definitely been a lot of different statements made in the past months, especially at that protest where there were over 500 students and staff marching in protest. But I will say that I do think at the end of the day, they all point to a very similar set of basic problems that have been an issue for a long time. Student athletes and staff want the university to really commit to improved recruitment and diversity campaigns to have more Black students and staff on campus. I think the biggest thing is not just statements or policies that they're putting out, but I keep hearing the same thing that the university needs to put their money where their mouth is. So that can take the form of scholarship dollars, academic resources, things like that. Um, The biggest demand that was made at the protest specifically was an annual $2 million fund that would help support and recruit more students of color to the university. But in response, the university has kind of sat on that for now. They have discussed a lot of different initiatives that are happening to recruit faculty of color and their previous efforts to improving scholarships and recruitment, but they don't seem committed to doing that $2 million fund specifically. And how does the UW compare nationally on these issues? So I don't necessarily think I could frame this in black and white terms, obviously, just because The most productive way to think about it is probably that most, if not all, universities are complacent in this college sports system where Black people across the board are extremely overrepresented as athletes and underrepresented as students. Um, But there are definitely statistics that we can look at to help frame that. Um, One 2016 report found that Black men at UW-Madison make up 39.6, so almost 40% of student athletes on campus, but only 1% of undergraduate students. And the more compelling part of that is that if you compare that across all Big Ten schools, that's actually the third best ranking out of 14 schools. So again, this is a widespread problem. Then again, there are definitely areas where the university does fare significantly worse compared to its peer institutions, and graduation rates is a good one to look at. In the same study, they found that UW-Madison graduated Black male athletes at a rate of 47%. When you compare that to all undergraduate students at the university, which have a rate of 83%, that's tied for the second worst gap across Big Ten schools. Wow. Okay, so... Black male athletes are just far less likely to graduate than the average UW student. Yes, and they have lower rates when you also compare to 
all athletes and also compared to all Black men, including athletes and non-athletes. Wow. Okay. So what does the university say that it's doing and how does that compare with what the student athletes want to see? The biggest development that I talk about in the story right now is most definitely the diversity and inclusion strategic plan that was announced earlier in September. The athletic department really emphasizes that this plan is not a reactive thing to the protests or to the demands that have been happening, but a proactive document, given that this has been in the works for a very long time, multiple years. And the new Equity Diversity Council in the department has also been responsible for putting this together since April and March, before many of these demands even started. Uh, Critics, I would say, are pretty skeptical about this plan, While there are some concrete plans in there, such as improving hiring technology to attract more diverse talent or putting out an annual inclusion report, the critics are really looking for more tangible numbers and deadlines and metrics as a way of changing the way that things have been done in the past. And I'd say there really is a fundamental mismatch right now with one side putting out this document. They call it a working document, one that they're constantly going to be addressing and revising as they move forward versus the student protesters and certain staff members who are more critical and they just all they want is more action and resources and not another plan. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. So you spoke to Savannah Rainey, a softball player who left UW to play for Howard University instead. What can we learn from her story about the kind of problems that UW student-athletes are talking about? So I thought talking with Rainey was a really good close-up look at a lot of things that we normally hear about in more vague anecdotal ways or in forms of data. She joined the softball team a little over two years ago in the summer of 2018, And she left the team after one year, and then she left UW-Madison entirely after two years. She told me about her experience with a shoulder injury pretty early on in her career in the fall, and she could tell pretty early on that it was a serious injury, and she wasn't able to play at full capacity, and she ended up actually redshirting, which means that she was on the roster, but she wasn't really playing in her normal capacity as an athlete. And The main problem she encountered was that the athletics department would continually brush off the injury, tell her nothing was wrong. Surgery was an option, but they said it would be career ending. And she was just at a dead end, unable to function as an athlete, but being told that there was nothing they could do about it. And she describes her relationship with her coaches and the department getting more and more tense over the months until at the end of the year in June, she was kicked off of the roster and She heard these narratives coming from coaches and teammates that she had a negative attitude, that they thought she was pushing the team in the wrong direction. And of course, she denies all of these allegations, which the athletic department refused to comment on for this story. After that first year, she finds out that the injury was a torn labrum, which is quite a common injury among baseball and softball players. And after getting surgery and being rehabilitated, she is now playing at Howard University, which is a historically black college. I would say that the two biggest takeaways I took from this story are one, looking at the differences in medical treatment that are really widespread, not just in college sports or sports, but across the country in general for black people 
and Black women more specifically. Rainey is one of those sources who tells me multiple times, you know, I hate to pull the race card, but I could see that the treatment for me was like night and day when you compare it to a white athlete or a white male athlete. The second takeaway for me was hearing about her experience now, and I checked in with her this week about what it's been like at Howard, and she describes, you know, even doing virtual workouts, already feeling so much more comfortable when she's surrounded by Black athletes and Black coaches in a way that she never really did at UW-Madison. So it was a really good case study to hear the differences between being at a predominantly white institution versus somewhere that's more representative and welcoming for her. Right. Now, Since this summer, we've been seeing increasing attention across the country to racism and racial disparities. But how have UW student-athletes raised these sorts of concerns in the past? And what kind of change have they seen in response to their concerns before? Rainey and various other players and alumni that I spoke with told me that while they really didn't necessarily file formal complaints about serious legal problems or racist encounters, the main experiences they go through are just daily stereotyping, isolation, anxiety, being one of the only Black people on any team. And whenever they would bring these concerns up informally to a coach or to a staff member, they didn't really go anywhere. They were brushed under the rug or people would really reinforce this idea to not bite the hand that feeds you or to really understand that there has been progress made in recent years, and that's something that we should be grateful for. So not much of tangible follow-up. And ultimately, they describe a system in which there are a few good apples that help listen to their problems and are receptive to concerns, but of course, a few individuals are not strong enough to change an entire system. I also hear that going to Black staff members isn't always necessarily the best solution either. They describe this Catch-22 almost, where Black staff members have to walk a pretty fine line to stand up for students of color before they're pushing a little bit too hard against the department or putting out ideas and suggestions that they are not comfortable with. So I think the final conclusion that I came to was that it's impossible to rely on the few individuals that students really trusted, and instead there needs to be a bigger overhaul or addressing of structural issues within the department if these concerns are ever to be heard. Another concern that I heard pretty frequently and something that's echoed by national experts as well in terms of sports history and social justice issues in sports is that student athletes are frequently discouraged from studying challenging majors or pursuing the academic paths that they're genuinely interested in because it might hurt their chances of staying eligible as athletes, meaning that they might be struggling to maintain the good grades that they were before or wouldn't be able to make training and perform as well as they were able to. So they're put as athletes first and students second, and that's a big problem that needs to be addressed. And you mentioned the role that Black athletics staff play, both in being key people that the students can rely on, but also um, having limited power in these situations Did you speak to some of those uh, Black athletic staff and what were you hearing from them? I would say that from the Black staff, both former and current that I spoke with, there is a pretty similar sentiment that there are just gaps in 
infrastructure or vision at the department that make it difficult for Black staff members who really want to support students of color and give them new opportunities in ways that might push back against what the department has done previously to really thrive there or to stay there for longer periods of time. I will emphasize that, of course, every staff member does have a different experience. Um, Some are more reluctant to criticize the employer as having pushed them out, while other people will explicitly say that the athletic department has a revolving door of Black staff, that people are frequently pushed out. Um, That is a disagreement that people have, but I think the common sentiment is that it's difficult to put out new suggestions or ideas that are not in line with how the university has worked previously. Right. And you focused in the story in part on this kind of battle against tradition and how tradition potentially is pushing against this uh, fight against racism. Tradition is a word that came up a lot. Students will tell me that tradition is something that they feel is pushed down their throats as athletes. Uh, Staff members will say everything goes back to tradition. Everything goes back to how things have been done before. And again, It's important to note that this isn't a UW-Madison problem. It's a college sports problem where the industry is just getting bigger and bigger. And these athletes are being thought of almost in a professional capacity when they also have to be students and they have other things that they have to focus on that are unique to their identity as student athletes. And that's something that athletic staff will emphasize a lot is they would try to encourage Black students to pursue a specific career path, or they would want them to consider options that might be outside of what the department wants for them. And that is something that would lead to pushback. I remember one staff member telling me, and this was something that the department refused to comment on, but they told me that they would try to move one specific student into a major that they thought the student was genuinely interested in. And then another staff member filed a complaint about them saying that they weren't, you know, in line with what was requested of them for the job. So the common complaint is that staff members are brought in to do specific types of work like career development or athlete support. And then a few months later, they feel like they're not actually doing any of the things that they were asked to do. Got it. Anything else we should add to this interview? I would just say that looking forward, it's really interesting to think about whether or not this plan will play out in the way that both the department and the students want to see. I think there is a lot of room in the document for success. They do lay out a lot of key areas that need improvement, such as recruitment or engaging with Black alumni and alumni of color and putting out more frequent reports. Then again, I also do completely understand what the critics are saying because this document could just sit there. There's no deadline. There's no metrics by which we need to examine this progress. So I'm curious to see how this moves forward and to see whether or not the university continues to engage with it in the way that they have in recent months and what is made of this months down the line. Absolutely. Yvonne, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Natalie. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Yvonne Kim who follows local higher education through every call for change. Tune in next week for a conversation about our next cover story. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to The Madsplainers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you do your listening, and leave us a review while you're there. Also, be sure to check out our other podcasts, including The Corner Table, all about food and drink in Madison, and Wedge Issues, 
all about state politics. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.